Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. So today, we're wrapping up our series on Philippians, and we're wrapping up our summer lyric series. So this is your first time here, and you just heard them sing, What a Wonderful Day. You're probably thinking, what is going on? So music is, is a powerful part of our world. And in one sense, music is where culture cries out. It's where we say what we want and what we wish was true about our lives. That's why these songs resonate with us. They're, they're aspirational. They're what we hope for, what we wish for, what we, what we want. And in some ways, Paul in Philippians is saying, listen, I know this full life is what you want. And Christ is the way to have it. He is the key to all of this that you want. And for four chapters, he's been laying that out in a beautiful story to us. And now he comes to his final words. And and there's a little bit in these final words as he's wrapping it up and bringing it all together that he wants to speak to his, his family, as it were, his, his young sons and daughters in the faith. And he wants them to know in one way that he's okay. He's good. Even though he's writing to them from prison, even though his life is endangered, he wants them to know, I'm good. And in these last verses, he tells them this. He says, I'm good, and I'm good in part because God has given me two great gifts. And he wants to give them to you too. It's a beautiful way to wrap up the book. And so here's what he says first. He says, God has given me the gift of contentment. And he wants to give it to you too. What an incredible gift. Let me read to you what it, what it says. Picking up in verse 10 where we left off last week, he says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned with me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. He, he says, listen, I want you to know I'm good. I know you're concerned. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. <laughs> I know how to live on almost nothing. Some of you, man, this is a life verse. You've been there, man. It's learned how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
He said, I've learned something about contentment. Contentment is not having what you want. It's not that you've suddenly climbed a ladder, achieved a status, and now you have what you want. In fact, contentment is not even, and some will think this, wanting less. Like the key to being content is having less drive, less ambition, less dreams, less desire. That's not what he says. He says, I've learned with much or with little how to be content. And in here, Paul is saying something that's good for us to know. He's saying something about contentment, but he's saying something about desire. And he's saying this, desire is a moving target. You know what I mean? Desire, it's all, you cannot pin it down. It's like jello, I want this. No, no, I want this. Like, you know how this works. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you order something and you're so excited until the waiter walks by to somebody else's table and you're like, oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? And you'll even ask him, what's it? is it too late to change, right? Because desire is like this moving target. Anybody buy a car? And you love that car. The first year, the second year, the third year, it's okay. Fourth year, you're like, man, you're not even done paying it off yet, and you're tired of it. You're going to be paying that for 20 years now. They're so expensive, right? It's like a moving target. Man, I watched this play out in my life recently, and it was full confession. So our... Our vacation, Tammy and I went on, uh, we did a road trip, and then we joined up with a, uh, we took a cruise to Alaska, and we, we joined up with a group of church leaders from around the country, and we had been invited to be a part of this, and we were kind of excited to do it. So cruise to Alaska. And listen, everybody in the church has always told me, cruise to Alaska is the best cruise, you gotta do it, it's amazing. But I've, always, I've got issues with cruises, it's like giant ship packed with people, what could possibly go wrong, and so, but... But, I mean, you see the pictures, and, it's ama- and it is amazing. And Alaska is beautiful, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, it's, it's really good. And so, but I've, we've, never been on a re- we've never been on a real cruise. And so we, we, we come into Seattle, and we're, we're on this, uh, it's called the Solstice, the Celebrity Solstice. And it's enormous. It's like 3,000 passengers and 1,200 staff on a ship. And it floats. It's just like, ah. you know, a little room, little little balcony. It's amazing. Restaurants, buffets. I will say, though, the buffet has nothing to do with the message. It's like going back to the cafeteria in junior high where everybody's trying to. It's horrible. It's the worst thing in the world. But anyway, nothing to do with the message. So, I mean, you're, you're, we've got dinner and they're, they're, we're, we're, having, we're meeting with. It's, 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 it's amazing. But... When, when, we, when we pulled in and we're getting, we're, we're on the boat and you're on there for a couple of hours while it's still in, in dock and I'm like, this thing is, a, it's huge. And then we, we, we got to our balcony. I got a little balcony. It's like, it's like, it's like this big right here, right? And, and we, and I look and next to us is another ship. The Oasis of the Sea. I've never been on a cruise ship before and I'm already jealous of another cruise ship. 
it, it has 5,000 people. How do you know that? Because I looked it up. Like, what is this? What is this? I'm looking at it and I'm like, they have rock climbing walls. We don't have rock climbing walls on our ship. Never been on a ship before and I'm already jealous of the ship next to us. And here's the worst thing. Everybody travels the same route and we were leaving the same day. So the oasis of the sea was like following us everywhere we went. So the whole trip, I'm looking across. There it is. There's the nicer ship. There's the bigger ship. There's the rock climbing wall. They have this like little like boom thing that takes you up in the sky and lets you see around. And I'm thinking, I wonder how many restaurants they have. I wonder if it's like junior high over there. caught myself I'm like what are you doing we're so it's so ingrained in us contentment is a moving target now actually desire is a moving target contentment changes the target and that's what Paul is saying He's saying, listen, it's not about what you have or having what you want. It's about who you want to be with you. He says contentment is all about desiring Christ in your life. And it's why Paul finishes with this statement for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's not about having what you want. It's about having an active relationship with Christ where his presence goes everywhere with you. And Paul is saying, listen, this frees us from the roller coaster ride of desire. Uh, listen, I'm not going to tell you that, that you'll be perfectly free and you'll never look at the oasis of the sea longingly. You may. You may want to change your order, buy a new car, but, but the presence of Christ levels out the roller coaster ride. So I learned that the thing I want and desire most is simply to be with Christ every day. And Paul is saying, man, he's saying, listen, God has given me a great gift. Much, little, I've learned that Christ is what really, really matters. But he wants to say that he's given me two gifts. He's given me the gift of contentment, but he's also given me another gift. And with this, he starts to wrap it up. And, and here, he wants to say, he's given me the gift of you. People I can count on. Let me, let me read it to you. Picking up in verse 14, he says... Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. 
As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. John Reinhardt calls these gospel patrons. And the New Testament story is full of behind-the-scenes people who fueled the ministry first of Jesus and the disciples and later Paul and the other apostles and following them with the gospel. He says, as you Philippians know, you were the only ones. No other church did this. Verse 16, he says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Verse 17, he says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. He says, I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus now, now, all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. He says, you've been this gift in my life. You've been these, these gospel patrons. You've been the ones behind the scenes who have sustained me in every way. And I, I love this passage because, because it's a reminder to me of the people behind the scenes. And Tammy and I this past week celebrated our 32nd anniversary, which is an easy way for us to remember. And it's weird because I thought you had to be old to celebrate 32 years of marriage, but it turns out not so much. You didn't get that, but anyway. <laughs> or if you did, you don't think it's true, and that's even more worrisome. Nine months after we got married, we moved to Cape Cod to get ready to start Cape Cod Church. So this is our 31st anniversary. And I can look back over 31 years and see the beauty of how God has raised up people and brought people who have fueled the ministry and their behind the scenes sacrifice has been the story of what God has done through his church. And many, many, many of you are a part of that story. You see, people tend to come to a church at first for public gifts. Someone's preaching, teaching, maybe music, and maybe a group or something like that. It's the, the noticeable things, but they stay because of people who sacrifice behind the scenes. Because that, folks, is what genuinely makes a church community. The behind-the-scenes people who are lining up early and serving and sacrificing and building a community for Jesus. So you can follow Jesus on your own. You can do that, but you can't be a part of a gospel movement by yourself. For that, we gather together and we get to see God do remarkable things. And in some ways, that's what Paul is calling out here. He's, he's saying, look, it's you have been a gift. You, you the people God has sent, people that you can count on. 
And he's saying that. He says, you're the people I've been able to count on. And it's a beautiful relationship. One of my favorite preachers to just listen to, theological differences aside, he is oratorically gifted, is the Bishop T.D. Jakes. My goodness. I, the, the, the bishop can preach like nobody I've ever heard. He just is. And he, he, on, on this topic, he, he said something once which was just so, uh, so true and fascinating. And he was talking about leaders. And he was talking about, in this passage here, the kinds of people leaders count on. And if you're a leader in any setting, and you probably are, you'll be able to relate to this. He says there's three kinds of people that leaders generally end up counting on. He said there's confidants. Confidants are your best people. That's who Paul's talking about. They are the people who are for you. I mean, they are for you. Ups and downs, they're with you. You go up, they don't get jealous. They're just with you. They're your people, they're for you. And when you go up, they just are so happy for you. And when you go down, and life is falling apart, and you don't look as good as you used to look, they're still for you. Man. If you've got people like that in your life, you are rich. People who are for you up and down. He talks about a second kind of people. I love this. He calls them comrades. Now, comrades are different than confidants. Confidants are for you. Comrades are for the fight. These are people who will fight with you man they will link up arms and they will go after the enemy and man you are doing battle together but make no mistake they are in it for the fight they love to fight anybody know anybody just loves to fight just they just and they're just they're just they're tuned they're looking for it they're ready to go they are they are comrades here's what i've learned about comrades they will link arms with you and fight but when they run out of things to fight they'll fight you be careful about building a family of comrades. That's all I'm saying. It's like, for a moment, they're like, I don't, is it too soon to bring up Russia like Wagner? I mean, like, you can, you can, you can hire these people, but pretty soon they're going to come after you too. It's, uh, that's complicated anyway. But then, he talks about a group called constituents. And, and, and some have called them colleagues, and I'll, I'll go with what, the bishop created it, so we'll use his constituents are people who aren't necessarily for you, and they're not just there for the fight, they're there for the vision. They are, they are, they are bought into the vision. Now, here's the problem. Constituents look like confidants, but they're not actually for you, they're for the vision. And as long as you're marching together, man, they are, they are there. But they don't love you. They love what you do. They love what you bring to the table. And when they find somebody who does it a little bit better or a little bit different, they'll leave you. 
So someone made this point, and I think it's painfully true. And if you're in a position of leadership, you'll understand this. It, most of the leadership pain we have in life is due to mistaking constituents for confidants. Because constituents look like confidants. And I want to add, constituents can become confidence. There's a, there, there's, there's a pathway there. And Paul is saying, you have been the kind of people I can count on. 31 years ago, when Tammy and I were getting ready to start, I've told this story in a few settings, but I don't know if I've ever told it on a Sunday. We were getting ready to start Cape Cod Church, and we were living in, in Norton, Massachusetts. And people often ask me, how'd you end up coming to Cape Cod, other than the fact that it's beautiful and the ocean and everything else like that? Uh, we had narrowed it down to two towns, the town of Easton, which is just the next town over from Norton, and, and Falmouth. We had a friend who lived down here who said, hey, have you ever thought about Cape Cod? And Tammy says, I'm praying about that. The Lord said, yes. And I was a little bit slower because we both had jobs up there. We had a home in Norton. We could have just stayed where we were at. It was sort of you know it was it was less risky we didn't need to leave our jobs and get a new home and then right about the same time all this is happening uh, the church that we were a part of and uh, frankly we were we were young leaders in the church and we hadn't been there very long but we had gotten pretty involved and we were young leaders and there was a newer pastor and gifted guy and trying some new things and man the old guard came after him I mean it was the first time I'd seen anything like that I was just wide-eyed kid I'm 23 years old and I'm looking going what is happening and all of a sudden this group of people that were unhappy these they were they were fighters comrades they wanted to go start a new church in Easton with us I'm not going to lie it sounded a little bit appealing these people were passionate they were ready to go and we'd have a ready made little congregation to get started I wouldn't have to deliver newspapers sound pretty good to me and 23 year old Ben I don't know where it came from but there was something in there that said, these are unhappy people. They're angry, and when they get done being angry at him, they're going to be angry with you. You should go to Cape Cod. Best decision I ever made. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my wife says right there. Listen, I'm not saying a comrade stays a comrade. In fact, our, our, our deep belief, and we told many of our friends who are a part of that group, what we really believe needs to happen is you all need to go to different churches where you can heal. You need to find a place where you can go and serve and not be a comrade, not fight the fight where you can just heal and serve and grow faithfully in Christ. And in fact, that's what happened for a lot of them. And I think in many ways it ended in a beautiful way. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, I'm so grateful for you. 
I'm so grateful that I have been able to count on you. And now he's ready to finish his letter. Sign off, as it were. And he has one last thing he wants to say, and I want to read it to you because it's good. So in verse 21, he says, Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you their greetings too. Remember, Paul's writing a letter. And he's telling the church, everybody here wants you to know. We're with you. We're praying for you. Here, they send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too. Then he says this. It's odd. Especially those in Caesar's household. <laughs> May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Ah, <laughs> Do you catch that? Especially those who are in Caesar's household. There's some debate about where Paul was in prison. Some think he was in Rome and some think not. This is one of the reasons they think it was in Rome. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, do you wonder if this works because I'm in prison? Let me tell you what's happening in Rome. Right in Caesar's house. People are hearing the story of Jesus. And they're finding it to be true, and they're following after Jesus Christ. Take heart. Even people from Caesar's house send you their greetings. It's true, and it's good, and it's powerful. Don't give up. It's true, and it's good. And it's powerful. Don't give up. And maybe, maybe you're here and Jesus has sort of been on the outside of your life, a, a character from history or someone you're not sure what to do with. And maybe as we've come through seasons of worship and reading through this book, you found in Jesus Christ the one who wants to give you a full life and you're ready to say yes to him. I can't think of a better way to finish this book and this series than by giving you the chance to say yes to Jesus Christ. So would you bow your heads with me? We close our eyes just to have a moment of, uh, of, of privacy, a brief chance of reflection. And maybe you you've sensed that God has been speaking to you, calling to you. And there's probably lots of reasons in the story that brought you to this place. Maybe things that pushed you away or made you wary. But you found in Jesus 
one who is true and good and powerful and beautiful. And you're ready to accept him as your savior. The one who forgives you and gives you new life. In Revelation, it describes it this way. It says that, it says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears it and opens the door, I'll come in. And so that's my invitation to you. If you hear him knocking and you're ready to say yes. And I want to invite you in a prayer of of faith to say yes to him. You might pray something like this. Dear God, you know me and everything about me. And this morning, I confess that I need you. I want you in my life. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for me so that I could be forgiven, that he rose again to give me a new, full life. Jesus Christ, I invite you into my life by faith. I follow you. Help me now to live my life fully for you. I pray. In Jesus' name.